welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and with me today is the world-famous video game gamer, Marble Cantus. Hi, it's me, world-famous video game gamer, Marble Cantus. <laughs> Hi, Marble. How are you today? How is your life? I'm all right. I, uh, I, uh, I just got back from work, and I just got myself an air conditioner. Yeah, you raised, you did like a 12-hour live stream and raised the money to buy your air conditioners, because the place you're in doesn't have them apparently yeah yeah thanks to people's generosity i was able to afford two air conditioners one for my own like recording space which has like no circulation whatsoever and then one for our living space which is probably going to be a little bit easier to maintain sure but our house has been like 95 degrees within the past week so Oof. uh yeah i i had to uh i had to do a little i had to do a little fundraiser to get to get stuff together. Uh, can I cuss on this podcast? By you the can way? cuss as much as you like. Okay. I had to do a fundraising stream to get shit together. That's what I wanted to say. Speak your truth. I'm speaking my truth. This is the theme of this episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, we've, you, you and I have talked a fair bit over the last few months since I joined the network. You actually had me on a charity stream that you did. Uh, what feels like a year ago. It really does. It feels like more than that. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it was forever ago. It actually, weirdly enough, it feels like it happened longer ago than the H-Bomb stream does. Oh, wow. For me, which I don't I don't quite understand how the, the math yeah. works out there. But It was f- four months ago. Four months ago was the, the first charity stream I did where I met you and all the other Lunar Light folks. Yeah. And honestly, that was so much fun. And I it can't was, wait to do another one. Yeah. We've, there's, I like this trend of like doing live streams for ludicrously painful stretches of time to raise money for a good cause. Yeah. But yeah, we've been talking about this. I would say we're friends. I call you my friend. I'm, I'm, I would hope so. We hang out a lot. So. We do. We do hang out a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I think that people, people get weird when it comes to friends. Like, no, we're like professional acquaintances who spend a lot of time laughing oh, in the same vicinity, like while playing video games. Sarah, I considered us friends after, uh, after the, the Minecraft, after the, the cow, the cow oh, cube. the cow cube. Oh, mm-hmm. Lord. That's when I was like, that's when I was like, me and Sarah are besties now. <laughs> Oh, what a first impression. I know. I know. Uh, we will not be elaborating on the cow cube. No, nobody gets to know about the cow cube. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure what the most delicate way to get into this is. There really isn't one. Nah. But <laughs> basically, we're here to talk about conversion therapy because you have gone through that. You were forced into conversion therapy. And so uh, a lot of this episode is mostly going to be Marble talking about her, your experience. I'm suddenly switched to addressing the audience instead of you Uh, and me chiming in with short responses or asking leading questions or whatever. But I want to give you the opportunity to to say as much as you want to say or need to say on the subject. And I wanted I want to have fun with you. In like a public podcast context, but this is also a really important subject that doesn't get talked about as, enough. Yeah, yeah. Me and Sarah will have fun, goofy, uh, jokey content for you soon. Just not this. <laughs> yeah, just not this. Not today. Not this time. But but someday. But yeah. So this is this is going to be a heavy episode where we're talking about conversion therapy and familial 
problems, we'll say, and I guess you could elaborate on tags if you like, but I feel like just saying a blanket like content warning conversion therapy probably implies enough specifics. Content warning for everything. For everything is probably fair. All of the bad things that can happen. No, not really. But um, yeah, we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, if if anybody wants like some some quick specifics, uh, transphobia, homophobia, uh, based on religious dogma. I, I will probably touch on some some homelessness related topics. Sure. Spoil, spoilers for the story, I guess. <laughs> and there is a fair amount of like manipulation and gaslighting. So if any of those topics you think are going to be too much for you, please take care. Sarah will still be here next episode and I'll just, I'll just, she can edit me in, in the background saying a bunch of fun jokes. So then you won't feel like you missed anything. Yeah. Or you can go listen to Deck of Friendship. Or you could do that. And hear Marble theorize about how Yu-Gi-Oh is secretly a socialist parable. It is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. It is. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, let's just, let's just dive right in. <laughs> just dive right in. Yeah. Okay. So when I was 18 years old, I think I, I turned 18, and then a month after that, I came out to my parents as as a trans woman. And um, I think part of me knew that it wasn't going to go super awesome, but you know, there's always that that part of you that's like. Maybe it'll go great. Or also the part of you that says if it doesn't go off, go go well, or if it doesn't if it doesn't uh, pan out the way I, I really, really want it to, at least I'll have said it. And now I can move forward with my life and transitioning and et cetera. So I was 18. I was still living with my parents, fresh out of high school and just started college. I guess it's fair to assume based on the content warnings that it did not go well. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, maybe not a great experience. I guess I felt like I didn't have the means to move out. And also I was in this really weird place in my life where I kind of stopped talking to people, which is maybe like it sounds really like generalized and vague, but like. I graduated from high school and then just like didn't I didn't stay in contact with anyone. I just kind of like isolated. So I didn't feel like I had a lot of places to turn. And there were a few people that I came out to online that I knew in high school. But it was only because I didn't know them well enough to think that it would actually like bite me in the ass if I did so. And also it helped to know that they were also members of the LGBT community. However, I don't think any of them were out as trans. Eventually, eventually all of them were. (laughs) But at the time, uh, I don't think anyone was. Uh, So I sort of I confided in a few people. And um, beyond that, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of uh, I didn't have a very big support network. So things didn't go great when I came out. But. I still lived with my parents and I wasn't really trying to get out. I mean, I think at first I was, but then I kind of settled into it and was just accepting that I wasn't going to be able to move out anytime soon just because uh, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a lot of work experience. And, you know, you're you're 18. Who's ready to move out at 18? No. Uh, very, very few people as far as I know. Yeah. So basically... They were convinced that 
due to some trauma that I experienced, I essentially the way it was presented to me was that like due to sexual assault, I now thought I was transgender and because that happened to me, like my judgment was unclear and, you know, I couldn't think straight or think for myself, <sighs> uh, regardless of the fact that, like, I definitely had these feelings before the before the assault happened. Um, that was kind of brushed under the rug. But, you know, whatever. Uh <laughs> You know, I didn't really believe that. I was like, I don't buy this at all. But they told me that I had to see a therapist. Otherwise, they were going to uh, throw me out of the house. And I hadn't had a chance to come out to my younger brother. And I really wanted to do that. And they they, they, they were sort of barring me from doing so. And I think part of me uh, wanted to stay to sort of like... I don't know, build a better relationship with my younger brother so that he would trust me instead of my parents, which was, you know, it's very flawed logic, but I I guess it was it was hard to piece together solid plans and coherent whatever you want to call it when you're in a situation like that. <laughs> yeah, they haven't uh, in your story so far, they haven't exactly shown the most uh, clear logic. Right. Yeah. So for anybody who is unfamiliar with my content or, or anything about me, uh, I am an artist. I draw almost every day, and that was also true back then. Coming to terms with this was a very, like my, my identity, my gender identity, was a very difficult process for me. I was anxious all the time. I was having pretty frequent panic attacks, and uh, basically I would doodle a lot uh mm -hmm. <laughs> to sort of mitigate that anxiety and you know it, it I, I had i guess concerning drawings in their eyes and we're not talking concerning like oh i was like drawing some kind of suicidal ideation or something it was more just like i i, I drew like sad anime girls and stuff so basically the same as basically the same as what i do now Yes, sad anime girls are the yeah. definite key that you're disturbed in the mind. I actually had a similar sort of coping mechanism when I was in high school, uh, doodling a lot. And I uh, distinctly remember having several conversations where my mom would approach me with something that I'd written on one of my journals that she apparently read or like doodled somewhere. I just remembered that she must have read one of my journals at one point somehow, some way. That's not like her, but that happened, I guess. But uh, her just being distinctly like, are you okay? Are you, <laughs> are you, cause, cause I drew like, I, I would draw violent, weird shit. Cause I was into like, I was sort of a scene kid. I was into like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Oh my God. And Johnny the Johnny Homicidal the Maniac, Maniac saved me. me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I think that that's probably an unfortunately common sort yeah. of refrain, but it doesn't sound terribly based in reality in your case. Yeah. I also had like pages where I literally like wrote, I, I wrote down like counting down from a thousand just to get my mind off of anxiety mm. stuff because it was, it was literally that bad. Like I would just be panicking like all, all the time. 
It was <laughs> it was it was pretty bad. But you know, I I I had my coping mechanisms and my situation mentally at least gradually improved, which is, you know, it is pretty good. Uh but my parents and I didn't know this at the time, they took those notebooks and some of them were school notebooks and I was just without them for a while, just thinking like, uh-huh. where did I put that? Huh? Cool. And they gave them to the therapist that they wanted me to see. And they had this ultimatum that I had to see this therapist, even though I very much did not want to. I had some pretty lukewarm experiences with therapy because most of them were, well, some of them were from the church that we went to and some of them were just... Just I didn't trust them because my parents picked them out for me. And this was before I even came out. I just I part of me just like didn't trust the idea of therapy for just a really long time. I'm not exactly sure. I don't really remember what the mindset was, but sure. This seemed super sus to me. And I was like, I don't want to see a therapist at all. But they they had the ultimatum. And eventually I agreed to go. Now, I sat in with this therapist not knowing a couple things. One, that he had basically seen all of my anxiety art and had already formed a lot of opinions about me and my mental health Uh. uh, based on not only that, but also like my parents sat down with him and talked about me at length. So there was a there was a lot of discussion that happened beforehand, Um, even (sighs) though I got to attend the therapy appointment by myself, my parents dropped me off at this at this place and I sat in with him and I essentially was like this is literally like how the conversation went I was like hi sir I'm really sorry to waste your time but I don't need therapy and I don't want therapy my parents just wanted me to sit in here because I'm transgender and they don't really know how to deal with that so I don't really have anything to say to you so we can end this now or we can, you know, just kick back for a while, I think is like the terminology <laughs> I used. Um, and uh, and he was like, he was like, no, like, I'm not going to I'm not just going to like sit here. Like, if you're not going to do the therapy, then get out of my office. And I was like, chill. Bye. So I left and I my my dad was like, that was really short. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, well, you know, we discussed it a little bit and I don't think I need therapy. (laughs) So uh, we're driving home. So something that I didn't uh, touch on that is important for context is that I used to have like kind of kind of a thing with anger. Like I just used to be just mad all the time. Not like not like violent mad, just like kind of angry, but like, you know, teenagers. Sure. I was just, you know, I was just really upset. I I didn't feel like anyone was giving me the time of day. And I was just like, sometimes I would just like yell a lot. Got it from my parents. We'll say that. (laughs) I think it's also just like a teenage thing. I I did. Yeah. I I was sort of similar and anger issues. So I'm in the car with my dad and he says to me that my anger issues are clearly defining my behavior. And he said that I had to go back to this therapist because if I don't get help for my behavior and my mental health, et cetera, et cetera, he said to me, and I quote, that one day you're going to kill somebody. Jesus Christ. My dad essentially was telling me, his daughter, that my anger issues, which have never manifested in a violent way before, were 
dangerous to the point of physical violence to the point that I would murder another human being if I didn't go to therapy. Holy shit. Oof. Yeah, that's not a great thing to say to your child. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. It wasn't fantastic, but it got me it got me to go back. So, so you what did you did you did, how were you skeptical? Did you believe him? What, what was your what did you feel when he said that? So when he said that to me, I felt a lot of things. Sure. I think that I was extremely skeptical, but I was so torn up by the fact that he said it that I was just like really miserable. And then I'm pretty sure he had a conversation with my mom about the whole situation. And I'm assuming that the ultimatum was put in place once again, that like I this is something that I had to do. And if I didn't talk to this therapist that, you know, like, here's the thing about therapists is that they're great and they're wonderful, but you have to be able to choose your own. Yes, 100 percent. And it takes a long time to find the right one. Mm -hmm. So if one is just picked for you, there's a very low chance. And if you if you have to see them and there's no other choice, like. It's not a great sign. It's probably not going to do much for you. So then my mindset was, okay, well, all I have to do is talk to this guy. So I'll just lead him on for a while. And, you know, like, I'll just talk to him about my problems and nothing will ever come of it. And then that's that's that, because like therapy is just like talking about your problems to somebody. And it's not like they have any actual like ability to change your mind about anything of course not so i sat in with this therapist for a few weeks and it was actually pretty normal i guess as normal as it could have been you know he just he just asked me about my life he asked me about some of the the like traumatic things i went to and i didn't really feel all that bad about talking about them but i guess like between him saying him implying this and my parents saying it uh there was this like heavy implication that like my trauma was controlling me in ways I just could never fathom. Like, like, like beneath the surface, I am fundamentally broken in a way that like I would never fully recover from. That's, that's sort of the gist of it. Like I needed this therapist to make myself better, but like because of all of this, I was just like beyond belief. Like I needed I needed to go to this therapist, you know? Yeah. So the thing about therapy and the thing about repetition, I suppose, is that like, even if it's not your therapist saying it, if somebody says something to you over and over and over again, eventually you're going to internalize it. So I had a lot of conversations about this and about my, my trauma and about how it was affecting me, but they were all one-sided. You know, I didn't get to say how I felt or how I was processing my trauma. And uh, because of that, like, I, I sort of just, I, I, I internalized it. Eventually I felt like I was like, I needed this therapist and I was like completely undeniably like broken in some way. And th those were the words that were used too, was broken. Mm. And like my parents would try to say that like, you know, everybody's broken, so everybody needs therapy, but you need it a lot because of this thing that happened. So uh... yeehaw. And I also should note that they were going to the same therapist and this therapist was not a dedicated conversion therapist. It's not like it's not like you, you would Google his name and find like 
like like conversion therapy in my area and then his his personal website would pop up or something i'm sure he was just a faith-based therapist they're everywhere you know yeah a lot of medical professionals are not experienced with trans issues so he was not qualified to say whether or not i was trans but i'm sure he felt like he was (laughs) so i kept seeing this therapist and eventually i i think that i I think I started to like kind of not warm up to him, but I would get a little bit more in depth, mainly because like I didn't have a lot of people to talk to about my family situation. So I think at one point something pretty big had happened with my family. We got in a pretty big fight and it was really one sided. And this was kind of rare for me at the time, but I actually felt like I was in the right and like that their behavior was uncalled for. So I was actually excited to go to therapy. I was like, just wait until he hears about this. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I guess like part of me just like wanted to be heard in, yeah. in my time of need. And this well, this person was like a medical professional that was supposed to help with mental health and shit. So surely he would understand. Of course. Yeah. He's your therapist. Why wouldn't he? Right. So it was like, it was like a very one-sided argument that me and my parents had. So I felt like I had, uh, you know, a pretty decent leg to stand on. So I go to this therapy appointment and basically I didn't even get a chance to like bring anything up. Like I didn't, I wasn't even able to, I wasn't, I didn't get my, you'll never believe the shit that just happened. Um, because I sat down and what he said to me is that I'm not trans and that I am currently just bathing myself in delusions and, it was very clear to him that I was faking it or misunderstanding my gender identity because I was so fundamentally broken inside <sighs> that, like, this is what I thought would, f- would fix me in some way. Jeez. He told me that if I was trans, there's nothing he could do about it. But since I was so clearly not, he only felt it right that he say to me that I'm wasting his time. And it's obvious that I'm not trying to confront my trauma. And, you know, he was he was basically he was in my head because at this point I had told him a lot about the things I had been through before this whole debacle. Like he he was basically using my past trauma that I couldn't even barely begin to process to tell me that I was like faking it and just like trying to waste his time and that at the end of at the end of this appointment what he said to me was i have two options and one is to just go out into the world and just pretend that i'm right about being trans and just keep going with this wild delusion and you know nobody was going to contest me on it Or if I decided I really wanted help, I could come back to him. But until then, he didn't want to have another appointment. Jesus Christ. So here's a part where I should disclaim that, like, I think it's I think it's a little weird to talk about luck when it comes to conversion therapy. But I I know that, like, 
I'm lucky it wasn't electroshock therapy, especially because I lived in Indiana at the time. However, not all conversion therapy is, you know, like electroshock. And I think that with the way that like medical professionals misunderstand trans people, like these stories are probably way more common than we know. Yeah. This is something that I've wondered myself because I've read a book about camps for teens, like military yeah, like conversion camp camps, or, yeah. or yeah, like conversion camps. There's the, they call it the troubled teen industry, mm-hmm. and there are horror stories of cult-like environments where people are brainwashed and forced exercise routines that can regularly kill people, and like it's. Uh, people, it's easy to latch on to the most extreme examples yeah. of, of this like violent psychological and physical coercion. Yeah. But I don't think that they're the majority of the cases. And those are the ones you can easily point to and say, yeah, that's wrong. But I think probably what's a lot more common is something like your situation where this is somebody who is on some level building like a a doctor patient relationship and then emotionally manipulating you. This is a question that I have. um, Yeah. And maybe you're getting ready to go into this, but you, you found out eventually that he had like drawings and that he talked to your parents about you. Yeah. At what point did you find out, that he had those drawings or find out that like, did was he relaying the, the content of your sessions to your parents the whole time? Do you know? I don't know that. And I think that like at that point I definitely would have been able to, you know, like to be honest, like take some, take some legal action, like immediately. Sure. Yeah. I was 18 at the time. And I guess like, as far as I remember, it, it's it's, you know, this is years and years ago. But as far as I remember, I found out that he had like a lot of contact with my parents and had my drawings and, and my sketchbooks and my school notebooks, etc. I found out way after the fact, like beyond okay. any time I would be able to like do something about it. Sure. But yeah, so basically I <laughs> I didn't have much in the way of support groups or support network at the time. I had a few very close friends that stuck with me through all of this, and I will never, ever be able to thank them enough for that. But after this happened, I felt like I was lying to everyone. I I remember leaving that appointment and telling my dad that we had reached a pretty good point And we were going to take a break and I would just go back to see this therapist again in a bit. And my, my parents were really happy about that because they felt like they had gotten through to me in some way, but I couldn't really face my friends with this information. And I just hit it. I just never told anyone. So did you, did you believe him? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I, I fully believed him. I, I, I think that I was in denial 
as in not not that I was like he was he was very wrong. So maybe denial is not the right word to use. But like, I think that I didn't want to believe him at first. But then like my brain kept on going over and over and over everything over and over and over again. And I was just like, well, he knows way better than I do. And it's obvious that I'm just lying to myself. And so another thing about this is that I um, I decided that no matter what, I wanted to move out. Um, I wanted to get away as quickly and as painlessly as I could. So on my old Tumblr account, which no longer exists, I posted a donation link and I asked people to help me raise money to get myself out of the house. And I wasn't willing to extrapolate on what happened or why I needed money or anything like that because I was pretty heavily struggling with this 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 sort of therapy appointment. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, it was a little I said that I I believed him wholeheartedly, but I think that it was a little bit more complex than that. I think that I went back and forth pretty, pretty often. And just sort of like had a hard time figuring out how I felt about it. But I I guess for my own peace of mind, I didn't want anyone to think I was faking it. So I didn't want to tell anyone. Uh, Yeah. um, Because I was like, if other people find out that a medical professional said it, especially my parents, like if they found out that I that that like he said that they would be like checkmate, you know, Mm-hmm. So I just decided to never tell anyone and it, it took me a few years to actually open up about this experience to anyone. But uh basically my parents uh I didn't know this at the time but they were stalking my social media. They were like they were like reading my Tumblr, reading my Facebook and and mm-hmm. and everything and they were just sort of following everything that I was doing. They saw that I was trying to ask people for money so I could get myself out. So this 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 website that I was using to vent my frustrations was actually being used against me this entire time and might have even been given to this doctor uh, because I posted a lot of personal stuff on there. I was like very open about like the shit I was going through because I didn't have any other outlets. Um, and I didn't know a lot of people in real life that were also on Tumblr. So I just kind of felt like it was like, you know, it was fine to, to talk about things there. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. 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 So is this the, uh, are your parents the type who to say like, you, well, you're under our house, you obey our rules mm-hmm. and like you say like, well, what about my privacy? And they say you have no privacy because. Yep. Cause they own the internet. The, like they they pay the, they pay the internet they they pay for most of my phone and it's their house so they they were they were allowed to do whatever that's fucked it is isn't it it is <laughs> basically uh i no longer felt like this space was safe and i deleted my tumblr which uh you know it was for the best to protect myself sure. but also it was kind of sad I think that that was kind of like a pretty big and heavy thing for me where my sort of like my isolating tendencies kind of like kicked it into overdrive because I no longer had an outlet to complain about the way I was being treated and opted only to sort of 
live with it and just sort of internalize all the things that were happening. Yeah. Eventually, things got to a point where I felt like I had to talk about. I had to talk to somebody about something. And I didn't bring up conversion therapy, but I did talk to a friend about how my parents were treating me and all the the shit that had been going on. And they were like, I w- they were like, hey, that's that's pretty terrible. I'm so sorry you're going through that. And I was like, huh, it is terrible, isn't it? I didn't realize. <laughs> um like it's weird right because like it's so clearly a terrible situation and i wouldn't have had to talk to a friend about it if it wasn't terrible (sighs) yeah but it took someone else being like that's really fucked up for me to be like you know what yeah it is yeah it is it is isn't it yep 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 yeah it's easy to think that your situation is like exceedingly normal because it's normal for you and then and then another normal person just sort of says what the fuck are you talking about? You realize, oh, wait, maybe this isn't as universal as I thought it was. Maybe yeah. actually I've been sort of uh, abused. <laughs> maybe possibly. Oof. So essentially, uh, one thing led to another. I ended up getting kicked out anyways. So like the whole like not living with not living my truth didn't even matter, you know? Like the whole like the the not telling anyone, the staying in conversion therapy, it didn't matter. I got kicked out anyways. What happened? If you don't if you don't mind me yeah. asking. So my parents found out that I told somebody all the things that were going on. Um and they uh they sort of they waited until I was out of the house. I went to see a friend and they texted me and they were like all of your belongings are on the driveway. And if you don't get them out of there by 10 p.m., we're going to throw them away. What? Yep. What? And it was like 8 p.m. What? Holy shit. So I didn't have a car. What? How? Jesus. I, you know, I was hanging out with a lot of people at the time. Sure. And I asked a friend of mine if we could go outside and get some air really quick. And so we did, and then I told them what happened, and I showed them the message, and I kind of had a breakdown, and this is one of those people that I will forever be grateful to, and we we still hang out all the time, and they are just an absolute gem, and uh, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Jordan, if you're listening to this, I love you so much. <laughs> Um, but they, uh, they, they took me home. Uh, they took me to my parents' house and they helped me collect all of my stuff from our driveway. And, um, then I moved all of my belongings to someone's place. It wasn't theirs. It was a a friend of mine that offered to hold onto my stuff for a while. And then I was kind of just on my own and I did have a, you know, a pretty pretty good handful of generous people who let me stay with them. But I also had nights where I did not stay with anyone. And I, you know, I would, I would have a, a good old 24 hour sit in the McDonald's and buy something every, every five hours. So they don't kick you out session. Holy shit. And it was, uh, not a fantastic situation. If I, if I do say, (sighs) but Eventually, I moved into my own place, 
And yeah, I kind of want to sort of like, I guess, get to the, 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 the good part, the part where things start looking up. Can I ask you a logistical oh, question? I'm sorry. Please. Yes. So how did you, how did you get your own place? Did you find a job oh, or? Yeah, I took out a loan. Oh God. <laughs> I, I took out, I took out a student loan because I was in college at the time and I had stayed with my parents for an entire year. And since I came out with them, yeah. like I, I, I came out to my parents and I was literally there from September of that of when I, of uh, September of 2013 to uh, like June of 2014. And in June of 2014, two months before I would have turned 19, I moved out of my parents house and I took out a student loan and I started living on campus and I lived there for four years, four or five, I think. Okay. Four years. Yeah, it was four. Okay. And how long were you on your own before you moved in on campus? Three weeks. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Everybody, just going to take a quick break to tell you about a couple of shows on the Lunar Light Studio Network, Marble. So you're you co-host the Deck of Friendship podcast. Yeah. You want to say a word or two about what that show is? I would absolutely love to. So Deck of Friendship is a podcast on the Lunar Light Studio Podcast Network that basically me and Ray from Overwitch and Mars from Artificial Ghost Radio. We watch episodes of friendship-themed anime that has, like, a real-life game component. So, like, we're, we're talking, like, Beyblade, we're talking Yu-Gi-Oh!, we're talking Pokemon, and we'll we'll basically, like, we'll watch these episodes and then have a discussion about it. And I think uh, I'm the only one that's going in blind on Yu-Gi-Oh!, which is our first season, but we're all just kind of trying to unpack uh, what happens in that four kids dub. <laughs> and uh, it's it's got a lot of goofs, it's got a lot of laughs, it's got a lot of uh, randomly inserted politics, and... Uh, yeah, I think it's a good time. Yeah, I, I listen to it. It's a fun show. And the other show that I want to tell you about is Fish in the Percolator. Fish in the Percolator is a Twin Peaks rewatch podcast co-hosted by myself, Eric, and Lily. If you know either of them, Lily is Moth Cub on Twitter and Eric is Curio Rambles. They're both excellent YouTubers of their own very interesting caliber, and we make a trio that is dangerous and powerful and perhaps misguided in our attempts to uh, look at Twin Peaks uh, in a new light. Eric is interested in sort of the, the textual reading and looking at the symbolism of the show. Lily is interested in like weird little background details and just funny, odd, uh, uncanny moments. And I'm the Twin Peaks historian who's read way too many books about that dang old television show. The first two episodes of Fish in the Percolator will premiere on July 24th, 2019. That's a little over a week from when this episode comes out. And from then on, it will be every other Wednesday on LunarLightStudio.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to keep up with Fish in the Percolator, you can follow us on Twitter at FITPCast. And obviously, I will be back again next week to promote this new show again even more. All right, let's get back to this conversation.
So, like I said, weird to talk about luck in a situation like this, but I know that most people aren't that lucky. You know, if they were kicked out, it's not like it's not super easy to just get a loan and get your own place. There's fucking eight million pounds of paperwork you have to do to take out a student loan. Yeah. I will say that much. Yeah. Um, but not everybody's eligible, you know, no. like you could very well get fucked over in that situation. I just happened to be privileged and I got into uh, their their housing program uh their 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 sort of like dorm situation and uh yeah it honestly it wasn't even it was not a great dorm uh oh, they, they never it, are. It, had, it had a lot of it had a lot of fucking issues but i had a place to put my head and i i got there myself you know yeah and to this day i still have student loans like i i had i had enough in like in like grants and work money and other stuff where like my college would be mostly paid for again privileged um but i had to take out just enormous amounts of student loans that i am still paying off and will still be paying off for the next 25 years yeah because of this situation i i think you know like there's not much else like like there's nothing i would change about it though you know like yeah. I did what I had to do to keep myself alive. Absolutely. So. Yeah. When you're at a crisis, you have to do what you, I, I, I was, there's little details about your story that are sort of lining up with mine where I uh, was in a, in a situation where I was left either like, well, I could go to college or I could die. And so I decided yeah. to go to college. And the only way for me to afford that was to take out, loans and i very much feel the uh uh paying off loans until you until you die sort of emotion yeah (laughs) well yeah and honestly i am like i'm pretty proud of myself for like uh, like even having the 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 energy to do all that because i i would after this whole situation especially especially after conversion therapy i was dealing with some pretty heavy suicidal ideation i never ever ever wanted to get out of bed ever sure and you know i i mean i still have depression so like that like i still have days like that but we're talking like ever like i would never want to leave my room at all just i i couldn't cope with anything something that i think is is important that I go over is, you know, this episode is about conversion therapy. So I want to talk a lot about recovery, which is a central aspect of therapy. Yes. So I, it took me, it took me such a long time to get into therapy again. Like I moved in on campus and as I said, had a terrible time coping with things, never wanted to leave my room, uh, took a lot of online classes for that purpose, mm. which, you know, turned out pretty beneficial. Turns out they'll let you stay in their dorms as long as you're taking a class, even if that class isn't, you know, in person. <laughs> yeah. So I I sometimes utilized the uh, counseling center that they had on campus in which someone with the... Uh, general experience required to do a therapy 
was given instruction to make sure that students that felt like they were struggling with their mental health stayed in school. And that is actually what their function was. I'm not kidding. Like, huh. like if the best thing for you was to drop out of college, that is not the thing they would tell you to do. The mm. thing they would tell you to do is keep on studying and make yep. a schedule and mm. blah, blah, blah. Yep. Take more classes so you have less time to stew on all of these <laughs> icky feelings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that advice. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was in that program for a bit before I was like, hey, you know what? This is bullshit. It was free, though. It was free for students. Sure. So I, it didn't help me at all in way of recovery and, you know, figuring my shit out. But eventually, I kind of just, I started dealing with a lot of shit that was like, where do I start with this? <laughs> um, I graduated college and... I felt pretty awful. Um, I kind of felt really di- directionless. I think it was the months leading up to graduation as well. It was like my my last semester was a spring semester, and I just felt I just felt like everything felt like a like a fucking nightmare because I had just gone through this entire program and I didn't feel any closer to having a job. I was in tons of debt. And I just wasn't where I wanted to be. And I, you know, I was blaming myself for it. You know, I was like, how did I let things get this bad? I shouldn't have like stayed at this school. I should have figured out a way to get somewhere better. I should have found a cheaper place to live, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Anxiety, depression, self-deprecation, et cetera. And my girlfriend at the time convinced me to see a therapist uh, during my last semester of school. and. I didn't really want to, and I was very against it. I was, I was like, I, to this point, I had never had a good experience with therapy. Yeah. Basically, I, I felt like, and I expressed this, uh, to her at one point is that I felt like, like I couldn't relate to anyone because I didn't know anyone that had been through conversion therapy. And I, I didn't know anybody who had even similar trauma to the ones that I've gone through. That's not to say that everybody I know has had an easy time. And I, I think that it's pretty fair to say that most of the people I hang out with on a regular basis are uh, queer folks with some mental health struggles. And yeah, so I, I wouldn't... This isn't me saying like, oh, I have it so much worse than everyone else. Uh, But it is it is a sort of it's a sort of like loneliness that comes with experiencing something that nobody, you know, can relate with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that, you know, I had to come to terms with. And um, basically. Uh, I started going to therapy and I made sure that, so there is a website I'd like to plug called, uh, I think it's called psychology today and you can actually filter therapists based on whether or not they specialize in LGBT issues. And so that is how I found my therapist is just somebody who worked with LGBT adults and knew how to help them in some way or another. And so I started seeing her in in my last semester of college and things started off rocky. I couldn't go alone. <laughs> oh gosh. I had my girlfriend at the time come with me 
And if she couldn't go, I would cancel appointments. Yeah. I just like it took me a long time to feel safe in therapy. Eventually, that relationship ended and I had a hard time dealing with it. But uh, eventually I kind of like kicked my ass into shape and was like, I if I go to therapy, she might be able to my therapist might be able to give me some clarity on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing her more and more often just because like I I barely realized the good it was doing. I just knew that it felt good to have somebody to talk to about everything that could provide valuable insight and constructive coping mechanisms and you know like yeah. there's 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 talking to your friends about your problems and then there's talking to a medical professional who can help you process uh, severe trauma, which here's uh, so I, I do want to clarify really quick that I don't think like just like telling people go get a therapist, just just go do a therapy. I don't think that's super responsible or helpful. <laughs> uh, therapy is inaccessible and expensive and oh, yeah. like it takes a long time to find a good one, which is more time and money that you have to invest into finding a proper therapist. I just, for my personal journey, it was important for me to realize that therapists were not evil, I guess. Of course. And taking necessary steps to get help was so, so instrumental in, like, me becoming the person I am now. I, I guess I can, I can, I can say that, like, therapy is, is, is a wonderful tool and it's incredibly helpful. And you should absolutely utilize it if you have access to it. But if you can't, there are certain there's like there's 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 like online therapists that can they they do like reduced rates. Like you can you can usually get through to them for like between like 30 and 50 bucks a session, which is a lot of money. But it's not as much. But it's not as much. It's not as expensive. Yeah. Um, and for some people, it's easier. I I dabbled in online therapy before because I was so deep in my social anxiety that like going to a place and talking to a person was like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Especially when it came to therapy, something that I already was kind of wary about. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes that'll help. There's also like support, support groups uh, are, are just so, uh, so insanely important. Just like LGBT support groups, you should try to see if there's one in your area if 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 you, you know, don't have access to therapy um, or even in supplement to therapy. Yeah. Is just having that available is 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 just extremely important. What else is there? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like resources. There's hotlines you can call. Uh, Trevor Project has helped me on multiple occasions, I promise you. But I guess like all in all, I just want to say that like therapy is good for you. It's not easy. It's not always fun. But knowing that I have built positive coping mechanisms and ways to improve myself and etc. Uh it definitely makes the 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 hardship worth it. And I think that the reason I think it's important for me to talk about this is one, it's important for me to live my truth because a lot of the times I'll, you know, I'll ignore the the things that happened to me 
and these experiences that shaped my entire 18th year of life. And I'll start to feel like, 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 I don't know, like maybe, maybe, maybe it's not so bad. And maybe I'm just like awfulizing it in my head and making it sound worse than it is. So for me, it's important to be open about these experiences. And also, uh, like I said earlier, it's like this whole idea of like not knowing anyone that relates to your experience and not knowing anybody who's been through that. So nobody can like sympathize with that like 100%. And, you know, on some level, like nobody's going to be able to 100% understand where you're com- where you're coming from. Right. But I guess like my experience, I want it to be sort of out there because I know how lonely it can feel for nobody to be talking about it and nobody to be discussing it and people not really you know, openly talking about these these really, really harsh negative experiences that are are pretty fucking prevalent in the LGBT community, especially if you like grew up in a religious household. Absolutely. And I guess like I I I I want to make sure that like if I have a chance to make someone who's been through conversion therapy to feel less alone about it or less isolated then that's what I want to do. So I hope that my story has helped you in some way. And I hope that it's shed some light on therapy and its many positive applications. But also, you know, just a warning that like therapists are people. And just because they're a medical professional doesn't mean that they have your best interest in mind. My main thing is make sure that if you're seeing a therapist, it's somebody that you've researched and picked out on your own. And if you think at any point, if if at any point they are making you uncomfortable and they are raising red flags and if they are saying things that are like directly harmful to you, like it's okay to like leave them, like find find someone better. And you can you absolutely can. This is not something that like I've always wanted to be super open about because it does revolve around a medical professional telling me that I'm a fake trans. Yeah. uh, Which informed a lot of my sort of uh, internalized trans misogyny in the the coming years that I I had to fight tooth and nail to overcome in terms of like personal biases and whatnot. Because I, you know, at one point I, I like went the exact opposite direction and had to prove that I was the transest trans. Yeah. Um, I am the most trans woman. And, you know, like just like that obvious sort of like bounce back from this entire situation that made me want to like, I don't know. Uh, I guess the 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 main thing I want to say is that like. If you have been through conversion therapy, I know it feels like it sometimes, but you're not alone. There are more people who have been through it than you know. And I know that that's really depressing, but folks are, you know, they 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 are they are out there. They know how you're feeling and um I'm one of them and I just want I want you to know that like it's not your fault even when it feels like it is. And it's not something that any anyone who's been through would wish on their worst enemy. Yeah. But sometimes it helps to know that there's others out there who can 
who can understand what it's like and who can, you know, reciprocate that sort of reassurance that you may need. I'll just I'll just be upfront with this. If you if you have your own bad experience with conversion therapy and you need to talk to somebody, you you can DM me. Like that is totally okay. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's 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 just it's something that I think that by nature is isolating, but also uh becomes even more difficult when there are so few people who've experienced it. And, you know, now that like LGB folks are more commonly accepted in society. You have less firsthand accounts of conversion therapy, at least around my age group, as I've experienced it. So it can be difficult to find people who understand that experience. But, you know, it's a real thing that happens and it's sad and it's it's difficult and it's painful and it's something that I wouldn't wish, wish on anyone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've been through it and I I survived and I'm I'm always working every day to recover from my my traumas and my uh, my sort of negative coping mechanisms that I developed and I would say that like there's not a single part of me that like still feels any sort of like attachment to the beliefs that that therapist instilled in me you know, like I went through that horrible experience, but there's no part of me that feels like I'm a fake trans person anymore. So if if that's something that you went through and if that's something that you're dealing with or if it has to do with your sexuality, if if you were if you were manipulated and and dare I say tortured yeah. into denying your own sexuality or gender identity, you are not wrong to feel that way because conversion therapy is an incredibly manipulative and demeaning and horrible experience. But you can get better. There is help out there for you. There are people who understand you. And it's just it's just a question of it's just a question of sticking with it. Recovery is a really fucking long and hard and difficult process. Yeah. And sometimes it hurts like hell, but it's worth it. And and it's important. And it, it's out there for you. At what point did you recognize that this was conversion therapy that you had gone through that's i don't know I, I i guess it was sort of a gradual thing i guess that since it wasn't called conversion therapy uh for a long time probably at least a year i had some struggles calling it what it was right especially because a lot of the uh a lot of what was presented to me was that like I was the one that was like being deceitful and lying about my identity and stuff. And a lot of that was internalized. And I had a hard time for a very long time placing the blame on the therapist who from the get go was determined to convince me that I wasn't trans. Yeah. So I think that there was no point where it just like like clicked in my head where I was like, oh, that was really fucked up. I think that like as I started to develop positive coping mechanisms, I surrounded myself with mostly trans people. That helps. Who, you know, they they affirmed my identity and they heard me out when I was having difficult gender dysphoria times and, you know, all, all that all that fun stuff like eventually you know, therapy's great. Therapy does a lot for you and it's super important and, and et cetera, et cetera. But like, 
another super important thing is like who you surround yourself with. Absolutely. And I think that like eventually if you are affirmed in your own identity enough after a situation like that, I think that eventually you'll you'll come around to be like, wait, that was that was really fucked up. You know, hindsight's 2020 also. So yeah. it's like even if it came, even if it took me a long time to come to the conclusion that I was like, you know, like, oh, that was conversion therapy and etc. I think at, at any rate, I always thought it was like pretty fucked up how it went down. Of course. But like, I guess I never considered it to be conversion therapy until I was able to look at it through a healthier mindset. Yeah, it seems appropriate for LGBT trauma in general. And I think what you've been talking about uh, as far as like finding a new therapist and talking about it and inviting people to hear your story and and find their own reflected. It's sort of the same thing that I tried to do when I started this podcast in the sense that uh, there are a lot of different experiences of gender and there are a lot of different experiences of trauma. And it's easy to not think that that's what it is until you see it reflected in someone else. And it's like, yeah, hearing my AC just kicked on, but that's fine. We're just going to roll with it. When, <laughs> when you, like, when you, when, when you tell your friend something and they say, wow, that's fucked up. And you realize, oh yeah, that is fucked up, isn't it? It's the same sort of thing of like, when you, when you hear somebody else say, oh, this fucked me up. And you're like, oh, I guess it fucked me up too. And I think a lot of what, bad psychologists and just conversion therapy in general, what they try to do is shame you and silence you and make you feel guilty for any of your, any, whatever, whatever behavior it is that they've decided is, is your root problem. Yeah. And it's very easy to internalize that even while try like casting off what they said explicitly. And I think talking about it, and like owning the fact that it happened and that it was that it what what it was is part of how you remove the power of those people because conversion therapy thrives because generally speaking like no one talks about how bad it is and when they do they're like systemically silenced so yeah it, it falls in line with the practice of owning the shit that you've been through in order to demonstrate that it's not supernatural and it's not like it doesn't have a mythical power over you it's just a thing that happened and you understand it and now it's in the past and you've you're a much healthier person and i still i don't think you give yourself enough credit you've told me <laughs> you've you told me stories about your life that i'm like every every time i talk to you i feel like i learned so many detail about you and i'm like what the fuck Aww. and you just you, you and you think you're you think you're like Oh, I've never had, I've never been through anything or I'm not worth much. No, you're, you're amazing. Oh, Sarah. And I think, I don't know. I, I wanted, I wanted you to tell your story on my show because I, I know a lot of people are probably in a position where they've been through something similar that doesn't on the surface look or sound like what we would traditionally think of as like conversion therapy, but definitely is or was and hopefully hearing it they'll find they'll recognize what what it is that they're going through or went through and and that will be the thing that that helps them to 
cope with it or or decide to do something about it and and that's the hardest part that's the hardest, the hardest part. part is figuring out what's happening absolutely like, like uh it, it's not always that like you know it, it just like uh, things start going south and a light bulb clicks you know like outside outside help and outside perspectives are instrumental in realizing you're in like an abusive environment so yeah yeah yeah. Well, that feels like a good place to stop. Yeah. I I feel pretty good about this. How do you feel? I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I feel like I just talked about conversion therapy for an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's about how I feel uh listening listening to conversion therapy for an hour and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I think perhaps you should recommend some other places where our our dear listeners should go after hearing this and to uh, get their mind off of it that maybe also involves your voice. Oh, that what a great idea. So as I discussed at the beginning of the episode, I do have a I do have a podcast here on the Lunar Light Studio Network with my good friends Ray and Mars. And we talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! and other kinds of like uh anime with a real life game component to it uh it's a lot of fun it's it's i i i have i sometimes struggle to compliment my own work but i think it's absolutely hilarious oh it's excellent um i i think that i think that folks will enjoy it and if you do um absolutely hit me up about it but um is can i plug can i just plug a bunch of shit real quick i got a lot of shit to plug a bunch of shit a lot of shit to plug okay go for it uh best place to find me and hear my voice and stuff and also if you want to like discuss the trans questioning uh episode you are totally free to do this uh just hit me up in um in my twitch i i do live streams on twitch and if you if you're just like hey i heard i heard your your i heard your episode you did with sarah and you just want to like hang out and chat it's a chill time uh i i do stream with a lot of lunar light folks pretty often so uh there's, there's lots of fun kickback times and goof em ups and it's it's a lot of fun and um i also have a web comic called dread me not it's pretty early in its like production but it's about a person who wakes up in a, in a different world and there's they fight demons and, and there's glowy magic powers and shit and uh, there are also like Vocaloid music video tie-ins uh, currently working on one that is uh, going to be very long and a very difficult process, but uh, it's going to be good. And the whole thing is uh, is uh, it's only about 40 pages so far, uh, a little less than that. You can also find me on uh, Twitter at Marble Cantus. That's Marble and then C-A-N-T-U-S. And there are links to all the content that I do on there, as well as my Patreon. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually uh, just real one one last quick shill. Oh yeah, is that I am going to be quitting my job pretty soon, and I'm going to take a crack at doing art and content full time. If I if I you know if I if I if I hit the grindstone enough and take enough commissions and and I think I can make it work. Um, and then if not, I'll just, you know, I'll just find a part time something or other to supplement my my stuff. But obviously, like everybody's dream is to do all this weird content bullshit full time. And uh, 
I'm gonna take a swing at it. So uh, if 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 you're if you see my my art or my my music or anything, uh, I do have a Patreon. I do have commissions, and I do have uh, like you can also support me on Twitch if you'd like. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my that's my my shill. Those are all excellent shills. Yeah, I have a lot of good shills, but I earned them because I talked about conversion therapy for an hour and fifteen yes. minutes. And I would I would say our our listeners have earned the the rest because you are genuinely very funny and very Aww. fun fun to hang out with, and I Sarah. I enjoy your streams. And Sarah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your story on my yeah. my little show and. Uh, I hope that you feel a little bit better after sharing it. Yeah, I, I hope that next time I guest on here, it'll be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more light. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure, I'll make sure that next time we're we're talking about something a little bit more lighthearted, like childhood alcoholism yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Well, with that, uh, I'm going to go install an air conditioner. <laughs> uh, enjoy having central air. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really need it. Yeah. It's an oven in here. I've actually been melting this entire time. Uh, Imagine talking about conversion therapy for an hour and 15 minutes while you're physically melting in your chair. I can relate because my AC has been <laughs> off until about two seconds ago. So, all right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was a heavy episode, wasn't it? Um, I have some things that I want to say before we end the show. I know this episode is really, really long, but I've been editing this uh, conversation over the course of this weekend, and I have some quick thoughts that I just want to throw at you. I want to reiterate a point that Marble made, which is just that if you have undergone conversion therapy or you are in conversion therapy, it is not your fault, and you are not broken, and... This is a thing that is hard to say sometimes and hard, even harder to really learn for yourself, but family is often disappointing. And as much as we like to believe, as much as we would like to believe that family is something that is true and, and static and concrete, I guess, family is often disappointing and often not worth much more to you than just a, a random person off the street. If your parents are abusing you or treating you poorly, that's not your fault, and it's not a sign that you are unworthy of love. It is a sign that they, as adults, who, let's remember, chose to bring you into this world, they're the ones who are failing you. And again, you do not need fixing. You are not broken. And anybody who insists otherwise, especially through the coercive means of deceptive therapy or worse, is lying to you for the sake of controlling you for their own ego. And you need to get out of that situation as soon as possible. And finally, if you have to leave your family behind, you should not be ashamed of that. It's unfortunate when it has to happen, but you deserve better and you can find better. Trust me. 
there are better people out there who will love you for who you are and treat you the way you deserve to be treated. But okay, that's enough soapboxing for me for one episode. I want to thank Marble once again for coming on the show. You can find her on Twitter at MarbleCantus. That's M-A-R-B-L-E-C-A-N-T-U-S. And of course, the link to that and to everything else that she is on and promotes is in the description of this episode, which you can find below in wherever, whatever podcast app that you're using, or you can go to LunarLightStudio.com and go to Trans Questioning and the show notes there. Uh, there's also a website that's kind of weird to get to, and I'm lazy. I don't feel like looking it up. So good luck to you. You can find me on Twitter at TransQPodcast, and the, the website is linked there. That's what I should have said in the first place, actually. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, etc., you can send me an anonymous question over at CuriousCat.me slash TransQuestioning, or send me an email at TransQuestioningPodcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun. Cover art is by Dear Witch. The intro and outro music is by so, Estra, thank you as always for listening to this show. I know this one was long and a little bit t- hard, but uh, this was an important one, and I'm glad that it exists. And I hope that you have a pleasant day and week and life, and that you find the love that you deserve, and that you bring the love that other people deserve into the world, okay? Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you again next week. Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.